0: they there, Sexy Techies.
1: Hey, everybody. So this is going to be a little bit different of an episode. It's also, it's probably going to be a difficult episode for us to record. Um, so this episode airs on the five-year anniversary of the worst day of our lives. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and actually, we didn't intend to do this episode. We had another topic planned for this week about how to get ideas for startups, mm-hmm. um, which we'll do sometime in the coming weeks. Uh, but I woke up in the middle of the night last night with an idea. Um, I often wake up in the middle of the <laughs> night. And uh, in the morning, I, uh, I I pitched it to May and I said, we need to do an episode about Aaron.
0: And I was like, I think that's perfect. I I was... 175% on board with that.
1: So for those of you who don't know me or our family, Aaron's um, Aaron was my twin brother. And I guess, so for those of you thinking like, I thought this was a show about startups. <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh, get there. It is, yes. <laughs> I promise we'll get there um, in a couple of different ways in this episode. But um, there's some backstory we have to tell to sort of set the stage. So, I mentioned Aaron was my twin brother. Uh, we were very close throughout our lives growing up.
0: As most twins are. <laughs> as, as
1: most, yes, uh, you know, from, from the get-go, really. Uh, we were <laughs> right on top of each other, <laughs> literally, in the womb. Um, but we were also very different mm-hmm. from one another. <laughs> Sports came pretty naturally to Aaron. Uh, he was a very gifted athlete. One example is, you know, even without practicing nearly as hard as any of the other kids, Aaron was the fastest kid in our entire city in cross country. You know, there was the other the other kid who, you know, was was his challenger, basically. You know, you could tell, like, he gave it his all in practice every day, which was great for him. Aaron didn't need to do that, <laughs> and he beat him anyway. Um,
0: I know. I feel like if you Google Aaron's name, you can see a lot of his um, race times.
1: Yeah, you still can. You can see mine, too. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know, I, I was more of average athleticism. Um, school came more naturally to me. There you go. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, you know, Aaron excelled at, like, basically everything sports-related, basketball, track, football, uh, he even played lacrosse in college. When we were little, uh, we used to play soldiers. Like most kids do. Probably more boys, I would say, than girls. Yeah, but I did not play soldiers. Yeah, you no. didn't? Oh, okay. Yeah. You and your sister didn't play yeah. soldiers?
0: We played Mary Poppins. Go yeah. on. <laughs> okay.
1: Um, except it, at our house, it was a little bit different. Aaron was a soldier, and um, I was the president that Aaron was protecting. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that's just kind of...
0: If that says the, anything about the, your dynamic. The way that we were. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, the other kids, in the, like my, my other brother, Matt, and uh, some of the other kids in the neighborhood, too, you know, they were they were soldiers or Secret Service or something. I don't know how I, I got to be the president, but um, I thought it was pretty cool. So when we were graduating high school and sort of deciding what to do next in life, I knew what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to go to Georgetown. Um, it was my number one choice for for college. And fortunately, I got in. Um, and that's what I did. Aaron, you know, he wasn't as sure about what he wanted to do. He he actually kind of wanted to join the army. Mm-hmm. We graduated high school in 2003. So the Iraq war was just getting underway. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and through some light guidance from my my dad, and my parents, Aaron decided to go to college first. You know, he's uh, kind of decided he'll put off the whole army thing, and you know if that's still in the cards down the line, maybe he would you know do it then. Yeah. Um, so Aaron went to college. Um, he went to the University of South Florida in Tampa, which is where May and I live now. And you know I'd say he enjoyed his time in college. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, from the stories I heard. Yep, I, I agree. Go Bulls. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I mean, same from the from what the the time that we spent with him in col when he was in college when we were in college uh, from the stories that we heard. He he probably enjoyed it more than most, Um, so I don't think he had any regrets about that decision. Um, He graduated in 2008 with a degree in criminal justice, and over the next eight or nine years, um, he had a few different jobs.
0: Oh yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of remember some of them.
1: Yeah, so he worked in uh, he worked in insulation at like a family insulation business for a few years.
0: Up in Massachusetts, in where Massachusetts, the, where they need insulation. Where, yeah, <laughs> well, we
1: need it here too, just for yeah, to keep the cold in instead of to keep different, different the weather. Heat yeah, in. He, you know, he enjoyed that. Um, he, but you know, it wasn't. Uh, he he didn't feel fulfilled by any of the right. the jobs or the you know the career paths that he was going down.
0: I feel like a lot of people's first jobs out of college, like they don't always feel completely fulfilled. It's yeah. not like their dream job necessarily. Some some do, and they're very lucky, but. Most don't.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, he tried a few different jobs. He moved to Florida to be closer to our brother Matt and me and some other family down here in I think it was like two thousand thirteen or fourteen. not uh, two thousand fourteen maybe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was maybe like a year or so after we bought our house.
1: Yeah. You know, and then he, he down here he worked in office job, um, which you know, uh, he, he decided to give it a try. I think nobody ever thought that that would be Aaron's thing. And he learned pretty quickly that it wasn't.
0: Yeah, but bless his heart for trying.
1: <laughs> and so in the spring of 2017, um, I remember the day pretty clearly. We were, Aaron and I were playing golf. I remember what course we were on. Mm-hmm. I remember what hole we were on. Uh, I remember that I sliced my drive to the right (laughs) uh which i usually do so that one wasn't as hard so but we were out on the you know right rough of this uh hole at northdale country club and i could tell aaron was a little nervous but he told me he was going to join the army and i didn't really try and talk him out of it you know too much uh there might've been a little bit of that, but you know, I didn't think that I didn't know that I necessarily wanted him to, I knew that he wasn't happy yeah, with what he was doing. Um, and I knew it was something that was sort of in the back of his mind for a long time. Right. And at this point we were, uh, 32 years old and mm-hmm. he said, I think he said you, you had to be under 35 to enlist in the army. Ooh, um, close. so yeah, <laughs> so he didn't have too much longer Yeah. and you know, I just knew things would be different. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, like, you know, best case scenario, he'd, he'd be gone for four years. Best case scenario for me, selfishly, right? right? Like he'd be gone for four years. Your brother,
0: your friend. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, worst case scenario. Um, I mean, there's a few different worst case scenarios, but like, you know, worst, one of the, worst case scenarios is (laughs) from me as a selfish twin brother that he, you know, he makes a career out of it and ends up living in Alaska or Guam or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we never see each other. Um, it played out a little differently than that, but, um, so anyway, so Aaron enlisted in the army in August of 2017 and shipped off to boot camp at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, uh, he decided to be a combat medic. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that choice when, when Aaron decided to be a combat medic? Did you know? So I don't know if you knew, but, you know, biology was one of the subjects that he was actually always interested in in, in high school, um, was one of the subjects he excelled in. So I I was actually not too surprised at that. Um, you know, I was uh, I thought it was a good decision for him.
0: Yeah, I, I never knew that like he was into the sciences um, just because, you know, there were million and seven other things that we talked about it was never like science or like biomedics or anything but um I mean he his his wife at the time was a nurse um and so I know that she was also very encouraging of like you know helping helping him study and and you know all of that so I I think it was you know a good path for him I just um I wasn't expecting it I didn't know what I was expecting actually maybe something more like hands-on engineering I don't know
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, he did later have ambitions of maybe getting into, like, special forces, mm. um, that sort of stuff. So, but, you know, I was very proud of the the path that Aaron chose. Yeah, um, I agree. I remember when he graduated from uh, boot camp, my parents went to the ceremony. Um, he met some great friends in the Army, too. Amazing friends, uh, yeah. You know, one that we're still... Good friends with today. So,
0: yeah. And I mean, even just being able to like write to him while he was in boot camp. And I mean, I've never really had somebody that near and dear to me, you know, go through that. I know you have a lot of military, you know, people in your family that have gone to boot camp and, you know, served overseas and everything. But um, he was really like one of the first like family that I had um, where we can experience like writing to him hearing what the what his day-to-day was like there we had a two year old at the time and he was really curious about like what his uncle Aaron does in the army and things like that Uh, so um yeah it was it was really great to to hear all that he was able to accomplish he was definitely seen as a leader from what I've heard um and you know what he writes about so it was really cool to see him grow.
1: Yeah, uh, that was one of the funny things, too, about Aaron joining the army. So um, he was 32 when he enlisted. Most of the uh, the, the other mm. soldiers in the army with him at the time were in the 18 to 20 range, yeah. probably. Uh, yeah. So Aaron would talk about that. Um, you know, they, looked, they definitely looked up to him as a leader just because of his age and maturity. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Aaron, it, it was funny reading when Aaron wrote us letters and then uh, talking to him like when he was home on breaks when he you know when he came to visit and stuff like that um (laughs) just that he the way he talked about the younger kids because like that was him when he was that age yeah he'd be like all these
0: knuckleheads would do xyz get us in trouble (laughs) you know
1: we have to do push-ups and all this stuff and it's like that you know that's that's karma man (laughs) so about a year a little more than a year after he enlisted, so in November 2018, Aaron was working to get his expert field medical badge uh, in the Army, uh, which involved a few weeks of sleeping in a tent, um, completing a bunch of written and physical exams and exercises, and um, <laughs> just another example of uh, how, how different we are in some ways um, I was building a startup at the time <laughs> so actually exactly one week after I got into Y Combinator Aaron was scheduled to finish up the expert field medical badge with a 12-mile ruck if you don't know what a ruck is um, it's it's basically a course um, where the, the soldiers have to carry a, a heavy pack over rough terrain uh through you know it's this one was 12 miles um and it was the conclusion of this whole um badge process that he was going through it
0: sounded like a really intense process not just the ruck itself but everything leading up to it yeah um i remember they also took lots of like video of him doing a lot of like the trainings and the courses and stuff and i just I mean, just seeing little snippets of that, I couldn't even do those little snippets without being out of breath, but he he's a really fit guy, so.
1: Yeah, no, he was uh, he was very fit. Um, actually, even though he was in his 30s, um, he, he, in basic training, he actually won the Physical Fitness Award. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, competing against, you know, all these 20-year-olds and, and, and such, so. Um, That's a
0: little boost to your ego. <laughs> yeah, he was in good shape. Yeah.
1: He he trained pretty hard. I think, you know, going into it, he knew he was going to be at a, a disadvantage because of his age. Uh, yeah. You know, not that he was old, but, you know, for the army, he was... To, to enlist in the army, he was old.
0: I bet that was, like, the kick that he needed to be like, nah, I'm not going to let that. Yeah. Like... <laughs> oh, he
1: didn't like to lose. Oh, yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> Anything. An argument. <laughs> game <no>. night.
1: <laughs> so, um, I mentioned November 8th. He actually texted me the night before. Uh, he was... He made it a lot farther than he thought he would. Um, in the process, he—I remember him saying, uh, it, "You know, it's only a matter of time till like I go home." So the way that it works is like you get eliminated at all these different stages. So like you, if you don't get it, score enough points on the written exam, you go home. Like you, I don't know, to make too many mistakes in these different exercises that they do, uh, you go home. So he—he he figured it was only a matter of time till he got sent home. And I remember I think the day before the ruck he had to take a written exam. Yeah. And he he didn't I don't think he thought he was going to pass it. Um and that night I asked him uh and he said just just have the ruck left. So
0: That's awesome. Yeah.
1: I don't often drink beer <laughs> uh when we do these podcasts but uh I needed one tonight. Like <laughs> encouragement. Yeah. So the morning of November 8th, um, I got a call from my dad, and he said he had gotten a call from the Army, and Aaron had been involved in uh, some sort of incident or accident near the end of the ruck, and um, he had lost consciousness he lost consciousness and hadn't gained it back yet. Uh, at the time, he was being treated at an army hospital uh, near what was then Fort Bragg, um, and he was being transferred to the uh, Duke University Medical Center. So I think we knew it was, you know, I, th- I think we knew it was something heart-related at the time. I don't really remember exactly how much detail we, ha- we knew at the time. But... Uh, so I was living in Florida and so was my brother, Matt. And uh, I called him and um, he, he came and picked me up and we drove to Duke.
0: That day. Yeah, I remember.
1: And I think we made it in record time, actually, because the last hour or so we were actually behind the ambulance. Oh, yeah. Um, That we later found out. It, you that Aaron was in yeah. um, and so he was being transported from uh, whatever hospital he was at before Duke mm-hmm. um, and, and we ended up following it for like the last hour of our drive uh, I don't know what time they left <laughs> there but uh, we made it pretty fast from Florida yeah so when we got to Duke uh, we learned that Aaron had suffered a massive heart attack in his left anterior descending artery the LAD artery also, commonly referred to as the widowmaker.
0: Yeah, I just learned that term that year because of this. Because of oh, this, okay, yeah,
1: yeah I, I didn't know uh, much about. I had heard it before. I didn't know anything about it. Um, I did a little bit of research. I, you know, it's 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 not the best place to get a to have a heart attack. It's
0: like the worst, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, um, something like only about six percent okay. of people who have a heart attack in that artery outside of the hospital uh, survive. Oh, wow. Um, Aaron was hooked up to all these machines when we got there. Um, he was on an ECMO machine um, to pump his blood and oxyg- oxygenate his blood outside of his body and pump it back in while we were, you know, when we got there. And, you know, they were... They were trying to just get him as much oxygenated blood as he could mm-hmm. um th- at the time they didn't know how long he was without oxygen from this um this heart attack and so you know they they did what they could to uh keep him alive while they uh diagnosed you know his his brain activity basically right. uh whether you know whether there was brain activity left
0: right and at this point he was still unconscious and pretty much kept alive on machines at this point.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, we had a, may said this earlier, we had a, what, he was two at the time, I think, um, a two year old. And so may actually traveled up and back twice, yeah. uh, during this, this time period. Um, so, Oh, I knew this was going to be difficult, but I didn't think it was going to be this difficult. 4 days later on November 12th, 2018, Aaron died. As May mentioned, he he never regained consciousness from the um the heart attack and the Subsequent injuries to his organs and, um, you know, that he he suffered from the heart attack. He went too long without oxygen, as it turned out. And, you know, over the following weeks, um, months, and even years, uh, we learned more about what happened, really, uh, from both from official Army records and reports um, and from other information that uh, we pieced together from conversations with other soldiers that were there and, and friends who were with them at the time or who were just in the Army at the time. So it was around mile 10 or 11 of the 12-mile ruck that Aaron suffered the heart attack. It, and I, I actually spoke with the... Uh, I've spoken with the two soldiers who ran with him, um, and the one, the one, one of them was with him the entire time, uh, even after the, the heart attack, he said Aaron was doing great up to that point, uh, he was, he was tired, um, he was exhausted from, like, the, the weeks that they were out there, uh, in the field, and he was ready to get home, but, um, He had, he said, he had no doubt that that Aaron was going to finish the race. And so, when when Aaron had the heart attack, um, you know, so this was an the ex, for the expert field medical badge. So it was for medical personnel in the army. So um, they had plenty of medics yeah. around. Um, there was one i think you know less than 50 yards from where aaron collapsed and so they got to him very fast fortunately uh they they started doing cpr almost immediately way way faster than 99 percent of people who would have this type of event um you know elsewhere um you know probably within a minute yeah so and they had plenty of those people i mean they called they radioed they got more help um They cycled through when, you know, when one person got tired, they, they moved on to the next person. But what, you know, what, what I found out was they, they had an ambulance or multiple ambulances on the grounds for this event, but because of the terrain, um, and the fact that the, that it had rained a lot, um, in the days prior to the event, um, the, the terrain was very wet. Uh, it it took maybe as much as. 20 minutes or more for an ambulance to actually arrive on the scene. Um, and when it did arrive, it was stuck and they couldn't get it out. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they had to call for a civilian ambulance from one of the local hospitals to come get him. Um, and this was on an army, uh, on an army post. So there was an army fence, which they had to get, uh, permission from the army to cut down so they could get in and and get them out. And you know, these sorts of delays are very costly uh, in this type of event. Uh, I will mention, you know, this information wasn't in the army report. Uh, (laughs) We, you know, I I literally found this out a few months ago um, in, in conversations uh, with, with uh, other soldiers so, and then, you know, we learned more from the the autopsy, and, and this was, you know, probably the most surprising part to any of us. Uh, Aaron had very significant um, atherosclerosis of his coronary arteries. For those who don't know what that is, because I didn't either, mm-hmm. um, it's thickening of your arteries, the walls of your arteries, from a buildup of plaque. Um His left main artery um, had 85% uh, blockage due to this buildup of plaque, and the the, uh, LAD artery um, was 95% blocked. So suffice it to say, uh, I've done a lot of research um, in the years since, uh, and and I'm not a doctor, uh, and I'm not... You know, I'm not medically, I'm not medically trained uh, at all. Uh, so my research, you know, is limited to the means I have at my disposal. But, uh, I, I mean, there's there's some undisputed facts out there. So heart disease is the leading cause of death, both in the U.S. and in the world.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, in the U.S., it's responsible for one out of every four deaths. Wow. There's also a misconception that heart disease only affects, you know, old men yeah. uh, who smoke and don't exercise. Yeah, and
0: have like unhealthy lifestyles. That's just the picture that you paint when you think of somebody who um, you know, is prone to heart, heart attacks and yeah. cardiovascular I'm, disease.
1: And and not to say that there's not some truth to that, like I mean a lot of people who have heart attacks do fit that mold um that criteria but the truth is that a lot of young Mm -hmm. fit, um otherwise healthy men and women can also develop this level of plaque buildup in their arteries um that can lead to these types of consequences right uh there was actually a study done by the university of sydney and um, Heart Research Australia that found that in the eight-year period between 2006 and 2014, the rate of healthy patients, so those are patients with no uh, risk factors, Mm -hmm. um, having heart attacks increased from 11 to 27%. Wow. Um, Another study from 2000 to 2016 showed that the proportion of very young people, which is people um, identified as in their 20s or 30s, um, having a heart attack has been increasing by two percent each year. Every year, huh. um, over the last ten years of that study, one good thing is that the number of heart attacks in older um, at-risk patients is actually declining. Um, so, th- so because those make up the greatest number of heart attacks, the the overall number of heart attacks is declining. Right. Um, thanks to uh, Statins, um, you know, uh, the, the medicines that people mm. uh, typically take who are at high risk for for heart attacks, um, and you know, other advancements in medical care. But there's some there's some data out there suggesting that more young people are getting, um, you know, are having this condition, and and they're and they're being left out by. The typical um, risk factors, yeah, right, like your high cholesterol, uh, your high blood pressure, being obese or being a smoker; those are seen as uh, you know having diabetes. Those are seen as uh, some like of the markers. typical markers or risk factors yeah. uh, of developing um, heart disease. And what seems clear is that we need better markers uh for heart disease you know these high cholesterol for instance often seen as like one of the best indicators um you know uh, i read that over half of people suffering heart attacks don't have high cholesterol
0: right and I, i know that you got like some test results or that you knew some of the test results of aaron like going into the army when he had his physical and tests and things like that do you know about his cholesterol levels like was that a marker that could have been seen.
1: I actually don't know. Um, oh. So we're uh, it, It's not the simplest thing to get information from the army. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. uh, we're actually working on getting some of these, you know, results. Mm. Um, getting some of this, uh, some of these records. So I mean, it's it's something that we're interested in, just because you know we're we're curious what. Uh, You know, I'm sure they did some tests, you know, he had army in army physical before he went in the army. Um, I I don't know what sort of tests they did.
0: Yeah. But even if, I mean, now that you're saying this, even if high cholesterol wasn't in there.
1: Yeah. It's not, it's not a guaranteed, you know, he might not have had high cholesterol. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, we need better markers for heart disease, um, we can't rely on the um the pre-existing ones because people are having this disease without those risk factors mm-hmm. um we need better guidance on what those risk factors are and who qualifies as at risk um right. you know and, and what procedures are recommended for those people is it mm-hmm. you know do we need to look more at family history um our family has a history of heart attacks mm-hmm. uh, my grandfather my mom's dad um, died of a heart attack i think he was 59 years old
0: yeah so he was young too
1: yeah um my my dad's dad um had a heart attack also in his 50s i believe he he survived that heart attack um you Mm -hmm. know and lived for another 20 some odd years but maybe these things need to be paid closer attention to uh when deciding what um tests people should should have.
0: Right. And you guys are fortunate also to know your family history and know that that is in your family history. There are some people that don't know that cardiovascular disease runs in their family and you know it'd be nice to also maybe there's a way to find that out if you don't know. If you're adopted, if you're yeah, if you're estranged from your family, like to be able to still like you still have a right to your, you know, health care needs and it'd be really nice you know to have that
1: yeah you know and if this means that people more people need to be getting stress tests Mm -hmm. um or ct scans or mris of the heart um you know let's do those things um you know i think there's a balance right like you don't our our healthcare system can't uh support everybody getting all of the tests Right. right but um but, you know, there seems to be something lacking uh, right now if if people can be thought of as, uh, uh, like, just the, you know, it's, I would have never guessed that somebody could be, you know, have those levels of blockages in their arteries and be performing at the level um, that Aaron was uh, and had you know, and had gone through the, the necessary tests, um, you know, it, it just seems like a test. <laughs> there should have been a test to perform that would have caught there something have like that. Something, Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we need to make these things less expensive, uh, more convenient. Uh, we have the technology, um, or, yeah. you know, we have a lot of the technology that we need. We need advance, we need more advancements in technology. Uh, so why are we talking about this on this podcast? Mm-hmm. Um, Well, I mean, it's my brother.
0: Uh, He could do whatever you want. Yeah, Uh, it's our podcast. (laughs) It's my my show.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But also, um, you know, we hope this discussion can shed some light on this topic. Maybe it can help someone who hears this podcast in some way, uh, small or large. And, you know, we talk about startups on this podcast, and startups are about solving problems, Um, ideally big problems. The best startups solve big problems. Mm -hmm. Um, Most startups focus on problems of a lot less significance than the number one killer of humans in the world. (laughs)
0: That's so true.
1: We need to get more intelligent people who are interested in or have experience in medicine or biology uh, focused on these sorts of big problems in the private sector. Um, You know, more doctors, more nurses, more med school grads um go into startups um yeah. you know there's there, we need more funding for these sorts of things there's funding out there but like uh this i mean it's the number one killer of americans and of humans worldwide um you know as healthcare providers you ha- you ha- you you have an impact on the the people's whose whose lives that you touch but as somebody who creates a startup focused on these things, you can have an impact on millions of people's lives. Absolutely. Billions of people's lives. So, you know, this is not to downplay our our healthcare professionals and what they're doing. Some people, you know, they're great at those jobs uh, and they should continue doing those things. But um, I enjoy seeing when people leave those sorts of roles and found startups trying to tackle these very large problems selfishly Mm -hmm. uh and also for the greater good Uh, for anybody who's curious i have had these tests done now so uh when you have somebody this close to you biologically and genetically uh who who has these sorts of uh issues doctors tend to recommend that you get yourself checked out but there's still no you know there's still no healthcare guidance really for being high risk now like you know there's nothing that says oh if you know your your twin brother had this so like yeah you should be covered for like these tests like i still showed up at these offices uh for these so i had um i had a heart ct scan i had a stress test uh i had all sorts of blood work Uh, i don't even remember all the tests i had I, i had every test that they could think of to throw at me and everything came back normal but every time I went into any one of these places, uh, I was the only person in my 30s there. Yeah. Uh, I was the only person under 60 probably there. Um, I I got some funny looks yeah. from the other patients and even the, the providers. Um, they were like, what are you doing here? Which, you know, probably needs to change. Um, yeah. If
0: the stigma of you being a young person needing these tests, you mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, and and just young yeah young people in general like um i think a lot of people would look at this as a tragedy which it is but it's not just a tragedy of like a um you know these this thing hap- these things happen right like right. oh it's you know one in a million or something like right. that like this is a preventable occurrence yeah we have the technology to to detect these sorts of things if we apply it to the right population and the ch- and um and the challenge is figuring out what that population is i mean what we don't have is the technology to apply it uh, broadly enough that everybody can get it
0: right like the accessibility of of people like everyone being able to have it right is not there
1: which we have for other things right like we have for you know testing for other diseases and things like that blood with blood tests and different things like that um And there are some startups working on, uh, you know, there's, there's, um, there's some proteins out there that are maybe thought to be markers for plaque buildup. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, I read about a startup that's doing research on that topic. They still have a long way to go, I think, but, um, but things can be done here. Like more can be done and I'm excited to see it where, where this goes, and we and we can't just rely on government and grants right. and um universities to do research on this sort of stuff because it's not enough like the, those organizations don't move fast enough startups right. <laughs> startups yeah. are where the innovation happens uh, most often and yeah. um and and it's not to say that there aren't any out there doing this but like you know
0: Right, it's there's opportunity out there, and yeah. if you're looking to do a startup and you just don't really know like what a good cause is, like think about this one. Yeah,
1: know. yeah, and 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 not it's not for everyone. I'm I'm saying specifically people who are interested in the medical field in the biosciences. Yeah, that's it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for. I know it's been five years since this all happened, um, and they say like. When you grieve, it never gets easier. It just becomes part of who you are. And I just wanted to thank this. I just want to thank you for always being able to share your brother's story and share who he was in your life, because he obviously means so much to so many people. He means a lot to me. I've known him for almost half my life too, um, and. I don't think, you know, people, really important people are never forgotten. And I know this is probably always hard to talk about, but um, I really admire your courage. So thank you for doing that.
1: This is the point where I usually ask you to subscribe to our podcast, but I'm going to ask you for a different favor today. Please share this episode, share it on social media, share it with a friend or family member, Statistics are one thing, but personal stories, especially uh, in support of statistics, are often more powerful. We hope that sharing Aaron's story will have a positive impact on the lives of others. Thank you.
0: Okay, I think we needed that break.
1: Yeah, I know I did.
0: (laughs) Okay, we got our Kleenexes, we're good. All right, on to our next segment.
1: Yes. All right. Please
0: vetrepreneurship
1: <laughs> did you did you coin this term
0: <laughs> i don't know if if you know if you've ever heard of that term or if you know what that means i know what it means but i oh, i don't do? think
1: i've ever heard anybody use it
0: oh well it's the first time i heard about it when i was um researching this topic but apparently venturepreneurship <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a hard word to say
0: <laughs> apparently vetrepreneurship has been sweeping the country Um, small business administration reports that 25% of post 9-11 veterans want to start their own businesses. So veterans have been making a name for themselves in successful business launches, you know, for decades um, with skills that you learn in the military, like quick decision making under pressure, organization skills, leadership. It really translates very well um, in big business ventures and, you know, the boardroom, right? So you know, there's lots of large successful companies like Remax, Sperry Shoes, um, FedEx, Walmart, and even GoDaddy. These were all started by military veterans. Did you oh. know any of those? No, I
1: didn't know that any of those were started by yeah. military veterans.
0: And it just goes to show you can grow in any industry. So these companies, you know, they range from real estate to fashion to tech and retail. So, you know, veterans... They they have the capacity to to really do anything. Um, And so a couple years ago, um, Forbes put out a list of the top 25 veteran-founded startups in America. They took a lot of statistics in play to generate this list. They looked at prior 12-month revenues, two-year growth rate, and um, employee head count and external capital raised, and then they ranked them based on those factors. So since Veterans Day is just around the corner and in honor of my brother-in-law, your twin, um, who proudly served, we wanted to highlight three of the top companies still in existence that are veteran-owned startups. What do you think? Of course. All right. So the first one I want to talk about is called Pigeonly. Have you ever heard of that? No, I have not. Okay. Um, Spelled like pigeon the bird with an L-Y. Um, So it offers reliable inmate communication services, including phone calls, photos, and mail to stay connected to your loved ones in prison easily and affordably. Cool. Yeah. Isn't that like, and so, yeah, these are going to be three startups that like you would have never like thought of the um, industry No, this,
1: (laughs) yeah, this is not a problem that I'm too familiar with, um, but I can understand the problem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's based in Las Vegas, Nevada, and Pigeon Lee was founded by Frederick Hudson, who um, served in the U.S. Air Force as an electrical environmental specialist and was released from federal prison in 2012. (laughs) I looked up what he did. I don't know if you're interested in that. Yeah. What did he do? (laughs) So while he was like one of his earlier jobs was like window tinting and it wasn't bringing in a lot of money so it kind of and this was actually in florida now that i think about it i think sarasota okay um and it turned into a like marijuana delivery service <laughs> um which, you know, uh, that was his pivot. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I so, don't
1: encourage those sorts of pivots. No, but, okay. definitely not.
0: So he went to prison. Um, and he um, but when he got out of prison, he realized that there was a need, right? And it was a cost effective way to get in touch with your loved ones. Because I, I don't know what the story was, but apparently it was hard for him to do that. But um, he pitched it. it was actually a YC company. Wow. I,
1: I didn't even know that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and it started as Photo Pigeon. And so it was an easier way for friends and family to share photos with incarcerated from their mobile devices. But now it's a platform that makes it easy for friends and families to search over 4,000 facilities nationwide to find their incarcerated loved one and communicate them. And it's not just through photos anymore. It's photos, greeting cards, and you know, so much more right from your own personal device. So they say that it cuts the cost of expensive prison calls by 80%. Wow. Yeah, and they were named one of Time Magazine's most influential companies in 2022. Awesome. So talk about a big turnaround for Frederick Hudson. But that's that's a way to turn your skills and and what and seeing a need and and making it something successful.
1: So. Yeah. I mean, one of the big things for finding a startup that you want to work on is understanding the problem, a a problem. And oftentimes the best places to look for problems are places that most people don't think of. Uh, So I wouldn't advise anybody to get arrested so that they can uh, go to prison (laughs) and understand what prison life is like. But as a fortunate side effect of this experience, uh, that's a great story.
0: Right, right. And their website, I'm just going to share all the websites, um, is pigeonly.com cool. if you ever wanted to look at that. So the second company is called Combat Flip Flops. Have you ever heard of them?
1: I think I might have heard of them. That sounds more familiar to me.
0: Okay, and I'm probably sure I know how you have. But Combat Flip Flops, they deliver fashion and lifestyle products from combat areas to empower local entrepreneurs rebuild struggling nations, and fund women's education in Afghanistan. Wow. All along the way. So they are based in Issaquah, Washington. And Combat Flip-Flops was founded by Donald Lee and Matthew Griffin. So they both served as Army Rangers during the war in Afghanistan And while they were on tour, they witnessed just how much people were suffering in war-torn countries. So when they came back, they were inspired to make a positive difference with peaceful, sustainable business. And they started employing families in dangerous places, including Afghanistan, Laos, Colombia, and more. And it started as making flip-flops from combat boot soles. So they wanted to give families the opportunity to support themselves you know, without having to like join extremist groups or really putting themselves in danger. And then likewise, the company also donated to help send Afghan girls to school. So this was back in 2012. But Combat Flip Flops um, is probably best known. And this is probably where you had heard about them um, from their appearance in Shark Tank oh, okay. in 2022. Yeah, I
1: probably saw them on there.
0: Yeah. So their ask at in Shark Tank was 150000 for 10% equity. And they ended up getting um, an investment from Damon, Lori, and Mark Cuban for 300000 for 30% equity. So then after the episode aired, combat flip-flops revenue increased by 600%. Go yeah. figure. That's a lot of exposure. <laughs> yeah, that often happens. <laughs> the Shark Tank effect. <laughs> and then since then, um, they've sent more Afghan women to school and helped clear landmines from farmable land. So, which is really cool. Their annual revenue is about $4.6 And you can still purchase combat flip-flops and other types of shoes. They do a lot more than just flip-flops now. And they can be purchased on either Amazon or their official website. So, they have quite the reach. And their website is combatflipflops.com.
1: Yeah, that's an awesome story.
0: Yeah. And then the third one to highlight is called Good World. And I know that's going to be a tongue twister for me. I can't even say entrepreneur. So Good World. Have you heard of them? No, never Uh, heard of Good World. Okay. I love how that just rolls off your tongue and I can't say it. Anyway, Good World is a finance tech company that makes giving simple, secure, and viral with hashtag powered payments for good. So it's like a charitable contribution fintech company. Good World is based in Washington, D.C., and it was founded by John Gossert, and he served in the U.S. Army, Armour, and also, he fun fact, I just found out, I like, Googled him, and he's an adjunct professor at Georgetown University, too, so go, go boy, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay. Um And uh, he founded it along with his co-founder, her name is Dale Nirvani Pfeiffer, in 2015. Um, Good World It helps nonprofits with like any and every aspect of their fundraising needs, whether it be, you know, grassroots campaigns, event giving, text engagement. Um, Good World has a technology to enhance and simplify that experience. But it started and I thought it was kind of cool. It started by the creation of hashtag donate. So it was a way for anyone on social media to comment and instantly give to causes that they care about by typing like hashtag donate 50 and it automatically gives $50 to, you know, whatever the influencer posts about what they're supporting. So um, it made it really, you know, possible for businesses, influencers, and others to add a charitable component to any online experience, Facebook, X, TikTok, I don't know. Whatever the other ones are. Instagram. Awesome. That's Maybe good. threads. Yeah. Yeah. Threads. <laughs> sure. So um, Good World was named one of um, Fast Company's most innovative companies. And in 2016, it was DC's best technology startup. So their their website is goodworldnow.com.
1: That's a cool story. These are three great startups. Thanks for sharing yeah, them with us.
0: Absolutely. Go veterans. And happy Veterans Day. And thank you to all who served. Okay. <laughs> I have a huge ask to put out there for this next segment, okay?
1: Okay, are you asking me?
0: Uh, you, our listeners, everyone and their mother.
1: All right, I'm in.
0: Okay, so let's get into it. It's time for our Hot Mom of the Week. Yeah,
1: whoa, last time I checked, I'm still high. Real hot.
0: All right. So if there's anything to take away from what we talked about today, um, I want to say like one of the big things was the importance of heart health. Right. And the awareness to know when something's just maybe like not right. Right. That's like, you know, something yeah, like definitely. Happened. Yeah. So thinking about who to feature for our Hot Mom of the Week, I immediately went to the American Heart Association site um, because they have this whole campaign called Go Red for Women. Are you familiar with that or have you heard of it? I don't think so. It's the American Heart Association's signature women's initiative addressing the awareness and clinical care gaps of the number one killer of women, which is cardiovascular disease. We talked about, you know, CVD as the number one killer for all Americans. So Go Red for Women, spotlight stories of women survivors um, that talk about heart health journeys and uh, they raise awareness about stroke and heart attacks. But as I was reading through, looking for someone to spotlight, I noticed that none of the women really had a big social media following. Um, And there was like even this like former athlete who was part of this year's class and she had maybe a couple thousand followers. So I find this kind of crazy because these are women, right, whose stories need to be amplified in order to raise awareness on you know this really important issue so preventative measures um, either from those suffering from a heart attack or from bystanders needing to assist or perform CPR they won't be educated on what to do and what to look for without the content being out there so I'm going to highlight this week's hot mom of the week who only has about a thousand followers on Instagram with a call to action to all of our listeners follow her Follow any of the women on the Go Red for Women 2023 class, hear their stories, understand the impact that her content and all of these women, their content can have on people who suffer from cardiovascular disease. So her name is Melanie Wickersham. She underwent three heart transplant surgeries, and she talks about symptoms she experienced that were misinterpreted at the time to be something else other than cardiovascular issues. She advocates for greater awareness of how heart attack symptoms can differ in women so that more women can recognize what's happening to their bodies if something should go wrong.
1: She had three heart transplants?
0: Yes. Yeah. I'm going to go through the story real quick wow. on um what that was about. So she had her first one when she was just a baby. So she doesn't even remember that one. There, on her social media, she doesn't even count that as one. So she's <laughs> two. But um, she had a condition when she was a baby called pediatric myocarditis. And so that's an inflammation of the muscular walls of the heart. That was fixed. She was good. Um, and she, you know, lived a childhood. She was 10 years old when suddenly she stopped being able to hold down food. So that was a symptom, um, that a lot of people don't recognize could be like a heart health issue. She felt so weak when she was walking that she could barely walk across a parking lot without having to stop at every light pole and take a breath. and, And she was like panting for air. Um, but her doctor said it was the flu. So, it wasn't until her mom, who was a nurse, like, had looked down and she realized that Melanie's legs and feet were extremely swollen, which is a sign of heart failure. Wow. So, she underwent her second heart transplant um, after nearly dying at 10 years old. Going into her teen years, Melanie developed anxiety and depression, um, and she was prone to a lot of panic attacks. So... She grew up learning to control them. Ultimately, she became an adult. She found love. She got married. And she had a daughter. And she was, uh, she had a daughter through a surrogate. So she was even like preventative about, you know, any heart health issues that could happen while you're pregnant. She she was very mindful of all this. One year after having her daughter, her whole family, they were on vacation. And she started feeling some mild chest pain. But she just assumed it was like another panic attack. But this time, she also had really bad back pain along with her chest pain. But she just attributed that to sleeping funny while she was on vacation. So four days later, though, a cold flash kind of just like engulfed her whole body, followed by severe abdominal pains, and she realized she was having a heart attack. Wow. After a period of being incredibly sick, Melanie finally underwent her third heart transplant um and you know fast forward she's had no rejection issues for more than a year and so reaching that milestone um for transplant recipients is is kind of huge like um usually an organ an, an organ experiences rejection within the first 12 months if, if it's going to okay yeah. um so now she's 38 years old she's living in Minneapolis and she's really making the most of her new life she also took a CPR class so that she's prepared to save a life if she was around someone who goes into cardiac arrest. So she approaches life, you know, more optimistically, and she hopes that she can spread awareness of what symptoms look like when you're having a heart attack. So follow Melanie on Instagram. Her handle is at OpenHeartMel. As Great well. handle. Yes, yes, and she she posts. She's such an advocate of heart health. She posts all the time about her her personal story, how lucky she is, and also a lot of awareness posts um, when it comes to heart health. Um, so follow her as well as the American Heart Association. Um, they post a lot of content about things to look for, things to know about, statistics about heart health that are just really important to, to keep in the back of your mind your, as you're living your life. So um, learn more about heart health, signs to be aware of, and preventative practices.
1: Well, that's all we've got today. If you enjoyed the episode, hit the subscribe button.
0: And reach out on social media. .com's and Hot Moms.
1: Signing off.